Hello and welcome back to the Shadow Work Library. My name is Jessica DePotzi, and I'm going to start off this episode with a quick story. Back in 2016, I found myself in Canada and just coming off of a long relationship that was less than ideal, finding myself in a new relationship that was awesome. I was like, okay, girl's going to need to change a lot of patterns because I'm not trying to have the same kind of relational situations that I had in my past. So I found a book called The Gene Keys. And if you've ever listened to this podcast, you know what that is. Um, I referred that book to so many people, but it takes a level of mm, understanding around some new age concepts, world religions, philosophy, and a kind of mindset that not everybody is subscribes to. I'll just say it that way. So I created this podcast because I wanted to go through each of those chapters of this remarkable living transmission, and that's how this show started. As I was creating that show, this show, I was like, I'm going to get a cease and desist at some point from Richard Rudd because I am just blatantly talking about the book constantly, and I don't know, some people might not like that. So fast forward to a couple years ago, I connected with him to be a part of the cast and the narrator of our documentary called The Dark Night of Our Soul, which you can find the link to watch the short film in the show notes here. So Richard comes on to this phone call, uh, the Zoom call, and I'm fangirling and kind of nervous because I'm like, does he know who I am? Does he know that I talk about Gene Keys all the time and maybe he doesn't like it because I do it in my own way? And I was so happy to hear that he actually listened to the podcast and liked it and uh yeah, it gave me this permission to take the show to another level. So this humble living legend is now the person that we're highlighting on this episode. This is a behind the scenes interview that I recorded for the documentary. And so I've cut out a lot of, or actually Zachariah Montgomery, our director, cut out a lot of the questions in there, but they flew to Devon, England, to Richard's friend's house and shot it in this beautiful home, this artist's home, on a couch made of lavender, and it's just so beautiful. So if you'd like to see it, it's shot in cinema quality, it's gorgeous, and so you can look at the YouTube version of this in the show notes. All right, that's it for me. I mean, you're going to just level up in a whole different way. I did, watching this five times over, so please enjoy this episode with the lovely, remarkable Richard Rudd. Love you guys. Richard Rudd and I am the author uh, of The Gene Keys and also I'm a, a teacher, international teacher and um, yeah, I can do that again if you want. <laughs> I don't know what I would say. You could try. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, author, your founder. Essence okay. down to a title, yeah. please. Yeah, <laughs> always, always hard, isn't it? <laughs> My name is Richard Rudd. And I am a, the author and founder of The Gene Keys. I'm also a poet and a father. And I'm this, an ordinary human being. That's perfect. The Gene Keys is a synthesis. It's a global synthesis. And um, it draws 
many different paradigms together. It's, it's a weave, if you like. It's a woven tapestry of many different uh, modalities, approaches to life and existence. And it's based on a rudimentary code, a fundamental universal code, um, the code of the number 64. And the number 64 appears in so many places in our universe. It appears in our, in our DNA. It appears in music. It appears in geometry, in architecture, in, in nature, Fibonacci. And, and so the, the code itself, um, which was brought out by the, in a way, founded by the Chinese I Ching, um, the Gene Keys is a modern re-envisioning of an ancient knowledge system. And it's brought into this century, into these times, and um, it's been made as practical as possible so that humans can work with it, can work with it for transformational purposes, for self-development, and um, for healing, really. So that's the Gene Keys, yeah. I've always been um, working with and interested in sort of ancient knowledge and wisdom from all around the world and the Gene Keys has grown up as a compilation of all that wisdom and all the searching and the travel and that I've done particularly when I was younger I traveled the world extensively and learned from different teachers and people and um, I've had something of a mystical life in that respect so um, it's all grown into this synthesis this this world teaching which I call the Gene Keys yeah what I love about this subject, what I love about this um, notion of of growth, and uh, uh, you know, is that I work a lot with helping people heal trauma. Um, my work with the Gene Keys is is about helping people with different layers and levels of trauma. There's some physical, emotional, um, mental, and helping us to kind of transform and reconcile aspects of our nature that's that's really the most um engaging and rewarding part of my work and that's why it felt like a really good fit and also i i happen to resonate very well with jessica and uh i i think she's a great woman so i liked hearing some of the things that she says and she's obviously picked up my teachings and is taking them in her own direction so that was a a clear yes from me yeah the current epoch obviously this is a, a huge question that everyone alive today is is pondering like what where are we heading you know we we have a good idea where we've come from where are we heading in this time of like immense transition and change and in my work uh, with the gene keys i've um over the years come to almost a, a, pro, a prophetic understanding of where we're going. And I, I, I sort of avoid prophecy and sort of, you know, because it's conjecture, but also I am a student of history and I love um, the mythic threads that I see and I've explored in many human understandings and, and different systems. and. Um, I think if you really understand where we're coming from, it really helps you see where we're going. And I feel like um, we're heading into a very exciting, but also turbulent time. I mean, the turbulence has begun already, but I see um, only hope actually. And the Gene Keys is a, is a message for our times. And in that sense, it is prophetic because it does look beyond 
the transition that we're in and it looks to the other side of the transition but then it comes back to the to where we are um, and so approaching a period where we know we're going into something more expanded we're going into a different epoch um, if you know you if you know where you're going you come back then it changes the way that you transition through the difficulties that are coming so um, I see it as um, a really exciting powerful time I see I've, I've known it I don't know I've known it in my body since I was born I think I've known the I've felt the future that's coming um, and I felt the certainty of that and it's enabled me to relax quite deeply in myself and um, that's what's allowed me to then I hope deliver a teaching and a set of um, you know helpful teachings that can really help people through the, the difficulties that I think um, are coming I think that, and I know that we're already experiencing trauma and difficulties but I think there's probably quite a good deal more to come but um, having said that the epoch is you know the epoch that's coming I think is a time of vast potential for all of us yeah yeah I refer to it as the great change I'm not sure I, I'm the only one um, and it, it because it affects all life you know and, and I mean all life I think that with our understanding of the world now particularly through the quantum perspectives um, it's not possible for one thing to change and everything else to change so I think that that's why I call it the great change because it must be a change that's activated at every level and not just on earth but also in the entire universe everything is bound up in a, in a time of intense change so that's quite a mind-blowing idea for many people to conceptualize that it's not just us on this little planet that's changing it must be everything you know because everything is interconnected so I feel like um, through my understandings that you know because systems are all interconnected when one species goes through a change it already you know it, it, or it means that many others many other aspects of nature will also experience similar changes but in different dimensions even perhaps so yeah I, I use that term a lot another term I use um, which people really latch onto as a as a powerful word is the word synarchy um, which is an unusual word in a way and, and um, it's been used by various kind of unusual characters throughout history um, but the way I understand it is it's it's uh, the underlying um, ordering principle self-organizing principle that exists throughout the universe and when a, when human beings come into a harmonic coherence then we create synarchy I mean we were just laughing about the bees coming in here and flying around and bees are a great symbol of synarchy because they all operate as a collective they serve one purpose which is to nourish and feed and make sure the queen is intact and you know happy and fulfilled and you know and so in a way we're like when we come together um, we have to come together around a single ideal in, in a way and the ideal is to serve each other or to serve the whole and that's what I mean by synarchy so I think it's a powerful concept it's something that 
It's not a word that you can easily immediately define. It's something you have to contemplate and, and dialogue with people to really begin to grasp what that word means. So yeah, it's a time of synarchy that's coming. I think the more people understand the notion of synarchy and what it really means, the better off will be. And we don't have to conceptually understand it, but I think, you know, for instance, our indigenous people understand it in their blood. They may not, you know, they may have colorful ways or mythic ways of describing it through stories and, and through, you know, through their, their, their rituals even. Um, so there's different ways of understanding a big concept like that. It's not just, ha it don't just, doesn't just have to be intellectual. Um, it can also be visceral. Um, and so we have to, ultimately we have to embody it. But I think understanding it is a key because if we can understand it, then it helps us to then co-create it together. Um, and even the fact that it exists and that there is a self-ordering principle throughout the universe um, for people to begin to see that and really feel it at every level around us and including us, even humans. We, we often tend to think that humans are separate from everything else and we're making a mess of things and, and that's a big problem. And of course there are problems, but actually we're also a part of a vast ordering system. And so it's not just us doing this. The whole is doing it through us and the whole knows what it's doing. And sometimes the whole engineers difficulties deliberately in order for breakthroughs to occur. And um, I think that's probably the case for us right now on this planet, that we are approaching a breakthrough. And so we've engineered a series of difficulties and impasses that we're going to have to navigate together. And it's gonna bring us together. I think it is beginning to bring us together. So that's yeah, powerful idea. Yeah, the, the dragonfly's dream um, relates to one of the gene keys in my book. And there's these different 64 codes. And this is number 55. And it's sort of a special one because it's the one that contains this prophecy. And the others are, are, are different in that sense that they, they talk about um, the, the levels of consciousness available to humanity, the shadows. And, um, but the 55th gene key is a bit unique. Um, in that it contains this prophetic message that's based on the life cycle, the symbol of the cycle of the dragonfly. And um, I love to tell that story to people just to remind them and maybe not everyone knows that the dragonfly as a symbol is an incredible creature because it lives underwater. You know, it, it's an underwater creature for most of its life, three years or so of its life. It lives under the water as a predator. It's a very successful predator. And then one day, it, um, some sleeping gene in its body, in its nature, uh, triggers and it does something it's never done before. It finds a stalk of grass or a reed and it climbs up that grass and it leaves its water environment for the first time ever out into the air. And it's never been in the air. It'd be like a fish crawling out of the sea and clinging to a, to a stem in the light. And then once it gets in the, in the air, the sunlight starts to kind of beep down on it and starts to mutate. And actually, what's interesting about the story is that it's actually already gone through some small mutations in order for that to happen. So it's, it's gone through hidden changes, you know, already. And then the big one comes and it's ready. And then it climbs up and then the sun starts to open it up and it 
cracks open and the thorax emerges of the dragonfly and there's this beautiful system of heavenly hydraulics i call it where where the water of its old life actually pumps the new it's actually creates the pressure that splits open the old casing um, and then opens up these incredible wings and this creature that was kind of gray and drab suddenly is an iridescent living kind of dragon you know with these wings and then a puff of wind takes it and it's gone and it's the most aerodynamic extraordinary flying creature of the insect realm probably um, and so if you consider where it came from and in a short space of time a few days even less sometimes it goes from one extreme to another um, but it's the water element that pumps it and opens it so that's the same the symbol for us is that it's the it's the desire nature it's our emotional nature it's 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 all the shadows and the and the difficulties that we have that actually are the water element that will help us transition to the next the next phase of our evolution yeah so it's a, it's a remarkable um symbol of where we're going and the other reason i tell it is because you almost can't imagine the future you know from being a creature down here under the water to a creature of the air iridescent you almost us we can't imagine what an extraordinary being we truly are what's hidden inside here you know and in my teaching i I talk about these things called the 64 cities, which is a tradition from the Sanskrit from ancient India and the Vedas, um, which says that inside human beings are hidden superpowers. <laughs> and I know that's quite wild, but actually, if you look in the stories and the cultures of you know, almost all places, you'll see um, that there's a similar belief. And it's not just a superstition. Um, there's evidence of these things. It's everywhere if you start looking for it. And so we actually have capacities um, that are dormant and are waiting for, a, for the next epoch. And so if you look at life like that, it starts to change the way you see what we're going through now. I mean, it really does, because you realize it's not just about fantasizing some incredible future. It's actually, it's actually real. And that's the big thing for us to grasp. It's real. And I'm, you know, like all prophets, I'm kind of ahead of the time in, in that sense that, you know, hundreds or thousands of years from now, people may kind of go, oh, well, that guy back there, he had, he was right. <laughs> Not maybe with everything, but with that vision of what's potential for humans. And so, you know, the trauma and the difficulties that we're facing, that we all face, are actually the launch pad of something incredible, you know, something truly remarkable, a miracle, in fact, what we would conceive as a miracle. Uh, and we have the capacity to do miracles, but um, we're just not quite there yet. <laughs> would you say we're heading there? We're, we're heading there. I think it's going to take some time. I, it's like in uh, the seasons in spring, you know, early spring, there's, a, there's the first few flowers that pop up. Um, and then, the, and then it start, there's a rush, and then it starts to build and build and build. And I think that's how it, how it is going to be for us. It's how it is generally. The first few flowers start popping up, and then, you know, it builds and builds over generations. So, you know, without having a, a vision for a, a, a beautiful future, 
then it's difficult to move through trauma and times of intense change and suffering. Um, it's really, really important to kind of have that vision of what's at the end of the tunnel. You know, because when you're in the tunnel, you completely, you're likely to forget. But if you've built this picture inside your, you know, your vision, your visioning capacities of where we're heading, then, um, yeah, it gives you strength, gives you courage, gives you that kind of valor of the warrior spirit. Like, there is a reason that I'm having to face this. There is a reason for these, you know, these difficult dark times. Yeah, I, I think, you know, what you're talking about is initiation, you know, and initiation has been around as old, it's as old as the hills, you know, that humans have initiated, particularly the younger generations. And, you know, our, our current younger generations are really, you know, in difficulty, I would say, because, you know, we're at a time where we have so many comforts and so many distractions that we've lost the edge. We've lost our edge, you know, and, and you really find your edge when you're pushed to your edge, you know, and, and, and you come alive at a whole new level. And I have some experience in this myself. In my 20s, I, was, I went through a process of initiation. I was initiated by a shaman who uh, pushed me beyond limits that I could thought I was able to endure physically, emotionally, mentally, um, and in a wild environment. I think that's a really important component you have to be. I was in the highlands of Scotland, up in the mountains. And I think you have to be in a, an environment that's uncomfortable, that's cold or hot or extreme, so that you get that level of intensity that then allows you to have breakthroughs, you know. And the breakthroughs are, are almost all it, it, internal. You know, and so it's incre I think it's a, I think it's incredibly needed for a time. And if it's handled with compassion, and equanimity and balance, um, I think it's it, the capacity of that kind of a program, is uh, is amazing because it can create leaders. You know, ultimately, it can create people who, you know, who kind of know their direction in life, who who feel attuned to the core of their being, who aren't kind of coddled too much by modern civilization. And certainly we're going to need it in times ahead, I think, um, as you know, some of our comforts are probably stripped away. <laughs> and so, you know, it's really, it's like, I guess when for me, when I, uh, when I learned how to make fire with my bare hands, I, um, after that experience, I was a changed man because there was a Richard before making fire and now there's a Richard after making fire. And I know in my hands now how to make fire and, you know, put me in an environment, give me a, enough time, I'll probably figure it out now. And the difference that makes inside your being that empowerment, that self-empowerment, that's a symbol really, you know, not, I mean, it's great for people to learn how to do that, but it's a symbol of initiation. Like if you know that you have the inner resources to get through very trying times and to work with others and collaborate and you can listen and, you know, work as a team, like we can do anything, you know, humans are capable of incredible things. So 
yeah, that initiation process is much needed, really much needed. I'd, I would heartily recommend it, especially to younger people. Not just younger people, but especially to the younger generations. Like, vital, in fact. And not widely available. You know, I mean, I was lucky, if you believe in luck. You know, I was... I've, I drew this man who came into my life and shook me to the core of my being. And, um, you know, over a period of time, you know, over six months, a year maybe. You know, so take, it's like, it's not a, just a quick weekend. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a process, uh, you know, meeting your, your demons, your fears, um, and you never, ever, ever forget it. You know, you're, it's like, me now being able to make fire you never forget um so yeah i i think we need more people that know how to make fire inside their bellies you know everything that as i've got older in my life and i've explored deeper veins of wisdom and i've learned from life and being you know a human and a father and a teacher and all the things i that i do I've realized more and more that everything is just a knife edge, you know, of balance. And um, so when I was younger, I sought this mythical enlightenment state. And, um, and then I experienced a flash of it. And, and, uh, and then it was taken away from me again, you know. And, I, and, and I had to come to terms with that over, over a period of time and realize that actually you know, we can be hugely distracted looking for something in the future and not being here present in the now with what is. And so that I think that's what I meant when I said the devil's trick is one of the devil's tricks is to take us away, is to make us look for God. Um, because there's nothing wrong with looking for God. We all, in some respect, are looking for God in some form. We're looking for something. And yet it, we can get so, we can sometimes get too taken too distracted by the by the the promise of the goal that we miss the beautiful journey you know and there's a sufi saying al safar azavar which means journeying or voyaging is victory voyaging itself is the victory i love that because it means that you don't get obsessed with something in the future you know that 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 might happen you just love the fact that you're on the journey and even though you may have a goal and you one day you might think, wow, well, maybe that'll happen again one day, but it's not in my control. Um, I'm just going to love the journey, whatever it brings. That's, you know, that's the knife edge, like to have that balance between, you know, yes, you can have a goal. You should have a goal, probably. I don't like shoulds, but, you, you, you know, it's 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 normal to have something you're heading towards, some rosy future. Um, but then you have to be here with it. You kind of have to put that out of your mind and go, well, maybe, maybe it'll come. But on the way, I'm going to pay attention closely to what's here now. And that is a, a balancing act. Yeah, a little bit of shadow is good for us. Uh, um, it's, you know, a little bit of toxin. Um, too much toxin, we all know where that leads. You know, but a little bit of toxin it's juicy. It's it's it gives us it keep mean keeps us human. It keeps us humble. Um, uh, even a little bit of junk food every now and again. You know, it's a homeopathic dose of whatever's going round, so that you're connected to 
everything that you feel connected to everything if you if you if you set yourself too far apart too holy too pure then even though that you know i i have great um people i revere like that right but i'm not one of them and i also happen to think that you know the the saint who's fallen and picked themselves up is almost more useful than the saint that never falls you know and so i think we need that kind of grit of humanity and so that we can relate to others and we can relate to each other so yeah i i um i kind of i'm also an intoxicate if that's a word or an intoxicant you know and i'm a lover of um fine wine and i'm a lover of you know um just the, the exquisite things in life but in in small doses in small refined doses um yeah we're here to enjoy life we're here to kind of be human and i i think when i said that that's what i meant i meant let's not get too holy let's be here at the same time you know one of my great heroes is a guy a hungarian writer hamvash bella and very little translated into english but um he was an intoxicant and a lover of intoxicants you know so, but he made a kind of i don't know art out of it like which wine to drink when which cigarette to have after which food you know who to share this which glass to drink out of which you know everything everything to a, to a perfect system of like taking in these tiny amounts of toxins in the world and i and he was a man of great depth and wisdom but those little aspects of taking in the world and and the shadow a little bit of shadow keeps us human yeah i hadn't heard post traumatic growth obviously i heard post traumatic stress disorder and all those terms uh, but no I, I, yeah for me post traumatic growth is very allied to a work i do called the venus sequence um which is going deep into the human wound and realizing that in there lies enormous secrets enormous gifts um and it's a very rich world that under that underworld um you need to kind of know how to traverse it you need some support you need to be able to take care of yourself you know you need that these are real key things um but for me yeah it's it is the next frontier for humanity it is the current frontier for humanity is to to learn to mine our our suffering you know really we've got to come to a new understanding of the meaning of suffering really and and we've got to learn to embrace it much more fully um and it's it, it it's it's up in the air you know in a way that it's it's extraordinary right now and i think it will intensify further so it's these are this is really important training for humanity um i think for for even more intense times that might be coming i don't think you have to go far to meet adversity you know uh, my work is greatly internal so um most people just if you ask them to sit in a room and close their eyes and close all the doors and just stay in there for 2 hours um in the dark they'll meet their adversity within about 15 minutes <laughs> 
And I mean, there's the, they've done experiments with people being put in those situations and being given an electric shock therapy uh, system. And rather than do nothing, they would actually, many of them just gave themselves electric shocks. It was the only thing to do, right? So they would rather shock themselves than do nothing. <laughs> and um, so our adversity is all inside. Like when we turn in, when you, when you really turn in on an inner journey, you get to meet this part of you that's deeply uneasy in the world, uneasy in your being. And this is, you know, common to people who start med who, who, who learn to meditate. I, I'm, I'm more of a contemplator, so it's a slightly different approach, but um, it's the same thing. You have to meet yourself. Um, and you often meet someone you don't like, or you meet an, uh, an anxiety that's just latent inside you, just beneath the surface, and a little turning in, and you meet that wall, or it might be numbness, or it might be panic, or it might be terror, or it might be rage. For most people, it's some form of deep unease. Um, and so by following your breath and turning in, that's where you get the first level of exploring, what is this? What is this discomfort with my being? You know, that, that what is this thing in the way of me just being me, me just being joyful, me just being at ease? And there are layers and layers and layers of it to explore and many ways to explore it. So yeah, I guess that's what we're discussing here, like the many ways you can explore it. You can, you can set up external circumstances that enhance it. Um, I guess I just described one, you know, and in a way, in my work with the Venus sequence, um, I came to the conclusion you don't need anything other than your relationships. <laughs> and that if you look in your relationships, there you will see the unease and the discomfort. Um, and so the deeper you look into your relationships, especially the ones that are hard, then you know, that's where you have to look first. You look at the ones that are difficult. You look at the challenging relationships. There's always one. Everyone always has one, at least. And that's the one you have to look at. So that's the one I take people to. You know, and go, right, we're going to drill into what that is, what's that dynamic. And what does it bring up in you? And never mind about the other person. We're going to find out, you know, through this set of teachings, this Venus sequence, as it's called, you're going to find out, well, what, what are these defense patterns that I have that close me off, you know, that put me into a kind of reaction or a tightness or constrict my breathing? You know, because it's very visceral, all of this. And... The relational field is where we see it so quickly. So for me, that's that's my realm where I love to to learn from. Yeah. Why is it called the Venus sequence? It's called the Venus sequence because, well, a couple of reasons. One, that it came to me. Um, I was sitting on the train, <laughs> a long train journey, and um, it came to me while I was on the train, four hours on the train, and it just and I wrote it, and I kind of drew these diagrams and this, you know, and it all just sort of downloaded. Um, and then later afterwards, I found that that in the in that time frame, the planet Venus had just transited in front of the sun. And remember, you might remember, like the, they'd taken photographs of this little dot in front of the sun, and it happens every once in a while, decades, um, that that happens. But it was like a really beautiful 
coincidence for me. And then also, I mean, other than the esoteric knowledge that it has to do with positions of planet Venus and Mars and things like that, it's, um, it's the great feminine transmission. It's this teaching of understanding our watery side, our feminine side and our emotional side. And so it seems completely appropriate that it would be named after um, this feminine symbol, this, you know, Venus. The Dark Knight of the Soul, it was first, I think, attributed to St. John of the Cross, um, a Christian mystic. And um, it's been echoed in many different teachings, initiation traditions around the world. It's, um, it, it's, it's really caught deeply in the shamanic traditions, I think, which are the oldest kind of primal religions all around our planet, where the shaman travels down into the underworld um, deliberately to fight the de the inner demons that are there and then rises up and is transformed and becomes the shaman you know and, and so the shaman has to earn the accolade of being a shaman and and the you know usually the the old shaman will bring the new one through and take put them through some kind of trauma or initiation or you know extended series of challenges you know internal and external sometimes that take them on that journey down into the deep into the unconscious i think you know we could say that the, the underworld today we might call it the unconscious and even the collective unconscious you know which is you know which is where we connect up with all the deep human fears the deepest human fears fear of death fear of dying the the, the areas where you know we kind of meet that terror that lives inside us so yeah um the dark night of the soul is this this journey that where we have to forget ourselves in some way you know we have to forget ourselves and then we have to refind ourselves in the darkness you know so there's always a flame that we have to light so if you're in the dark but you've got a a match you know and you're in a completely dark space the moment you light that match and you ignite that candle flame there's this one tiny little flame in the darkness and that ignition of that spark is what brings us back you know so we have but we have to go into that deep darkness inside ourselves to find that um, that's the purpose of going down and in in order that we can find that flame that little kindle that tiny little flame and you know i often say to people you know when they're in a deep dark state or they're in a depression or they're you know they're haunted by some difficulty you know can you kindle a tiny little flame because it's already there inside you actually it never goes out it's the purity of our heart so you've got to find that you've got to go into the darkness and then you'll see in the darkness before long it, there's a flame somewhere there's a tiny little flame an ember you know and once you've found that ember, you can fan it. You can, you can begin to bring it alive inside yourself and you can bring yourself back to life. But it's a solo journey, you know, the dark night of the soul. Every person has to go through it at some point. And, you know, it's like us facing death. You know, every person has to face death alone. Even though you may be surrounded by your friends, loved ones, you have to go there alone. Just the same with birth, you come through alone. It's the tunnel, 
and the dark night of the soul is that is is exactly that it teaches us you know how to meet our death before we actually die um and this is again in all the great mystical traditions around the world it's a common you know very common phenomenon i think every every human being has to face the dark night of the soul at some point in their evolution and i think there are layers of it you know there are smaller dark nights and there are cosmic dark nights and you know the 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 great tantric teachings of the east have you know laid out these layers you know of 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 our consciousness expanding into wider and wider vehicles and vessels of awakening and and each of the thresholds is a dark night you know so every time you reach a threshold you know you get settled on a plateau but then things start to intensify again and then you get pushed you know to the edge and you're on your own like you've got another you've got another initiation to face through and what's amazing is that the things that these things that we encoded in our ancient mystical teachings now they're actually in life we know that they're actually in our everyday life so the more self-aware you become the more you realize that you know as you as you awaken inwardly as you do your work your inner work you start to move through these layers and levels and that's the it's a it's a really exciting time from that point of view because mystical teachings are kind of much more available to to humans than they ever they used to always they ever were they used to be in in schools special schools or only the shaman would have one student probably in their life now there's a lot more available and so people can can accelerate quite quickly as, as if they have the right support if they have the right you know the teaching that fits them then yeah we can we can there's a lot we can do you know yeah i mean contemplation the art of contemplation as i understand it and teach it is quite creative it requires a certain creative proactivity from each person um it's different from mindfulness which is a clear technique um contemplation is is able to pick up and put down a whole host of techniques at any point so it's a more of an a whole approach of turning inward the foundation of it i would say is um the technique of pausing learning to pause you know and sounds really simple and trite just pause but actually if you make an art of pausing then you begin to understand what contemplation is contemplation's creating space you know it's creating time around things time and space so you have to pause is when you create time you know and a, a pause can be short it can be a breath you know or a sigh you know, uh, that's a pause or a pause can be 5 minutes or a pause can be a red traffic light or a pause can be often pauses come to us and we're aggravated by them you know there are breaks in the pattern of continuity and life always creates them for us every day there are hundreds of pauses if not thousands most of us don't harvest them you know i call it harvesting pauses you have to harvest you have to learn to harvest them so if you can imagine you have a day 
with no pauses. At the end of that day, you just, what kind of a day have you had? If you look back on that day, there's not a lot of joy, there's not a lot of insight, there's not a lot of clarity, it's just another day that you got through. If you had another day where you'd taken a hundred pauses, imagine that when you get to the end of that day, how different you feel, you're like, wow, I had so many great experiences today. Even that five minutes where I sat, you know, on the bus stop and I just kind of enjoyed watching what was happening. And I let that bus go deliberately just to wait for another one, just for the hell of it. You know, it, that's what I mean by creativity. You can get very creative with creating spaces in your life. What it does is it starts to slow the tempo of your life down but it doesn't decrease your efficiency. In fact, it increases your efficiency. So if you're in a business and you've got a team and that team is pausing in, as individuals, not because you don't all pause at the same time, but if each individual is pausing regularly in their tasks, creatively, playfully even, then that team becomes way more coherent than if that team was just buzzing and buzzing and nonstop. You know, that team will get more done. There'll be more communication. There'll be more empathy. There'll be less saved miscommunication. It's like, it's a magical thing, you know, to learn the art of contemplation. So there are lots of ways. There are lots of techniques that you can develop. You know, I've, I've laid down loads in my teaching, in my work, in my book on contemplation. Just some ideas. Like in, I, an example is, simple things like um, watch the sun come up watch the sun go down just spend five minutes um, sitting in the dark with a candle <laughs> just you know really simple things that you can do you can layer into your day even like when you're walking down the street and one of those people comes at you with a clipboard <laughs> and you're like some life is offering you a pause, a break in your pattern. What's it going to cost you to give that person two or three minutes of your time? Doesn't matter if you're not interested in what, what they're selling. Just give them three minutes of your time. Just look in their eyes, have a moment of intimacy. They'll be so delighted that you stopped. They'll be so grateful. Doesn't matter. You know, let the Jehovah's Witness in your door. Um, give them some time. It's like allow these pauses just dialogues with life, with others, with nature. You know, be a bit more naughty, you know, a bit more playful. And you'll see that life can be delightful instead of this kind of massive, long list of things that you have to get done. So if you start to live your life more like that, you start to live your life more contemplatively. And then into that field of contemplation, you can then drop deliberate things. You know, so once you know how to contemplate, you can take something like a piece of trauma or let's say you suffer from anxiety. You can put that anxiety in the middle of your contemplation and you can really create some space around it and you can learn from it and you can learn what it is, where it came from, perhaps. But more importantly than anything is you can detach yourself from it and see that it's actually something running through your body that actually isn't a part of you. You know, it's something that you can defuse over time. 
you know, and that you can disengage with, and then your breath will return, and you'll begin to harmonize again. And so things that you think, or that we assume are impossible to deal with, that we don't know how to get out of, through the art of contemplation, through pausing, creating space, we create fields of transformational possibility. So there's a lot, I could talk about it for hours, um, but essentially it's a very simple set of techniques um, that involve creating inner space. And, and you don't have to create too much, you know, too much too soon also can create anxiety in you. <laughs> so you have to kind of nurture it, you have to cultivate it, you know, Contemplation is about cultivation. You cultivate a kind of way of, a life of, of contemplation. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's an art that many of us kind of already know how to do. We just need a bit more encouragement. Yeah. And um, for me, it's very simple. I would like, I would love to see people asking themselves and each other the question, how can I be of the greatest service to the whole? <laughs> because when you ask that question deep inside your soul, you're, you're, you're asking, you're connecting yourself with eternity. You're connecting yourself with the field of compassion that connects all beings. And if, if we can ask that selfless question as individuals, as communities, as relationships, you know, as humanity, as a whole species, then we can resolve every single difficulty that lies before us. But we have to ask the question, and there's, there's no, uh, there's no like single line answer. You have to live the answer, and you have to contemplate the question, but you have to go on asking it day after day after day. And if you do, the answers will come, and they'll come as actions that you will take and you know ways that you will enter into things in in a new you know with new capacities so yeah i would love to see people asking that great inner question how can i be of the greatest service to the whole really really transformational question i guess when i was when i was young um younger um in my late teens and 20s and I started to kind of be interested in, in, an, in the spiritual path. Uh, I really kind of, my soul cried out for a teacher, you know, for a master, for someone who, who, who knew, because I knew that I didn't know. <laughs> and so that hunger, yeah, it was, it was, profound in me it took me all around the world and it um i remember it as a kind of ache in my being here somewhere deep in my being and uh you know so when a when someone showed up in my life that had you know had kind of made that transition themselves to the you know to wisdom um i really embraced it quickly and uh, and a hundred percent you know i was ready so it was it was because i gave myself a hundred percent i surrendered a hundred percent um to the process i i had a very 
powerful and relatively fast initiation journey you know that period of my life probably around it uh, over the course of a year i'd say yeah yeah i think uh trauma including overwhelm is a doorway to you know deep self-exploration you know there's if, if there's if, if we've got something that's really hurting inside us then as i say with my teaching every shadow contains a gift and so we, it's our job to find out what's in that lump of coal you know somewhere in there is a diamond and then so our journey is to then find out more about that um and we may do that in lots of ways we may go on an inner contemplative you know exploration ourselves we may get help from outside we might go see a professional we might go see a healer someone wiser we might embark on a on a a spiritual teaching we might become you know explore a spiritual teaching to find out the answers what what is in this pain um but i think if we take that if we if we have that courage and we take that step then just taking the step alone to look at it begins to open it begins to open it and for me it's always usually about the heart ultimately it always seems to come back to the heart it comes back to love what's in the way of love what's in the way of me loving myself here what is this dark clot um and somehow we have to learn to kind of nurture ourselves through those deep dark places you know we might become an artist we might find you know there are lots of ways to express that outwardly so that we can understand it better um music is a great one you know music's fantastic because you release the pressure through sound through the sound waves whether you're listening to it you know ideally like playing it or or doing something with your hands you know doing something with your hands is a very you know a, a way a good way of of like externalizing a wound or a pattern inside um there was a man once um i went to stay with some friends and um and this man put, put i was teaching a course and this man put us up in his house and and i'd learned before i met him that his wife had died the year before of cancer and anyway we were, he was showing us around his property and he built this incredible garden out the back with all these um walkways and things and and I was I was when we met him and I said that's this incredible work you know temples and things and he and he said I did this all in one year <laughs> I was like oh my god how did you do that he said my wife died I was so distraught this is what I've done for the last year of my life you know I did it for her and now I'm and and he was changed he he'd got he'd come through it you know he was like he was at peace he still missed her but he was at peace he'd externalized this incredible you know wound and made something beautiful of it so each of us we have to find our way you know we have to find our way into these traumas it's always yeah it's it's some you know when we start to unpick the weave of our trauma you know it's always because often in the beginning there's someone there to help us there's someone there to reflect it i think in a way the human part of us needs that it needs someone to look in your eyes 
and just listen, just to listen to you. So I would say that's a really powerful first step. If you can find someone who you can begin to talk to, it can be a friend, it can be a professional, it can be, it can be anyone, someone that you resonate with, someone that listens. I mean, if you can find someone that listens well, you're like, you found a gold mine, you know, because someone that knows how to listen and they're not constantly interrupting and they're not trying to heal you, you know, that you have to make sure you don't get one of those. <laughs> someone that just takes you in and you feel the love from them, you feel the acceptance. That's a great reference point for you to begin your journey. And you may not continue with them, um, but that little bit of reflection, or it can be a lot of reflection, gives you, can give you the courage to go, okay, if I can feel love, even when I share this from someone else, then an acceptance, then I need to find that level of self-acceptance. You know, so it gives you that kind of incentive, like it can be done. <laughs> it, you know, I still feel terrible or guilty or whatever, um, and I don't know how I'm ever going to get to the bottom of that. But um, here's someone that can accept it. You know, they're an externalization of a part of me, actually. It's such a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, the, 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 you know, my life's work is about helping people see that the traumas we carry are intimately linked to our vocation in life, to our highest possibility to offer back to the whole. Um, and if you know that from the very start, from the outset, you kind of feel like you've got a sense of purpose, but you don't, you have no idea how that you are ever going to draw that connection, probably. But just that, even as a seed of an idea, is like very inspiring. That, wow, I've, I've been given this wound, or I've taken on this wound in order that I can grow from it and then help others in some way or help the world in some way and and not just that but even that my genius might be hidden inside it something that I can do that no one else can do because of the struggle and the trauma that I particularly have had to bear or go through or the burden that I have it's specifically specifically related to what I can do in the world and to yeah to this level of of genius you know it, it's what I call in my work the city the city is a Sanskrit word meaning divine revelation or divine emanation or gift higher gift and the city is is like the seed and is is like the fruit of the seed and the shadow is the seed you know and then the the gift is the flower and then the fruit is the city you know and and the and the fruit contains the seed so the seed also contains the fruit. So the wound contains a superpower, <laughs> but it's just unrealized as yet. And our life's journey or your life's journey in this life is to kind of, is to find out what's in that wound and nurture it and nurture yourself back to, back to love, back to life. And then out of that will come, you know, some form of vocation for you some something wonderful something magnificent potentially so uh, yeah it's a great myth that love that love the twist of fate
I I was very inspired by the teachings of Carl Jung, you know, who I think was one of the first people that coined that word, the shadow archetype. Um, and yeah, by shadow, I mean that part of our unconscious, probably that we can't see so clearly and that causes us distress or that is lodged somewhere inside our being that, you know, we don't want to look there. You know, it's you, it's hard to see your shadow, you know, and it's often easier, more easily seen by another. And it's quite easy to see other people's shadows, but to see your own is quite a journey. And so by shadow, I mean, yeah, everything that we dislike about ourselves, everything that causes us pain that we don't probably want to look at, that we try and distract ourselves from. Um, and yet when we turn that, make that turning and we start to look at the shadow, we get cut, you know, we start to really understand it. Um, all kinds of things come, come, you know, come to us. I mean, I, I just remembered a story a friend told me um, from India. He went to see um, a man, a shadow reader, um, which is, a, is an ancient tradition, almost lost in India where you go and see the shadow reader and the shadow reader actually measures your shadow. And so he, I'm just telling you this because it's, it's an interesting story. Um, so he goes and he has his, he stands in the courtyard and the man takes out his measure and he measures his shadow. He measures it lengthways, what, you know, different dimensions. Then he goes in, into his little library and, and he's got thousands of tomes of like papyrus and parchment, like on shelves. And he, and he does some calculations and then he goes down to one end and he takes out a tome and he opens a book and he reads from this man the name of his mother <laughs> and the name of his father, you know, which wasn't quite the same because it was in Sanskrit, but it was the same. So it was the same word. It was the same word, you know, but it was it was pronounced in a slightly different way, if you know what I mean. So it was the same sound signature. And then he starts telling him about things in his life and and things that have come to pass and things that will come to pass. And then he closes. And it, it's a beautiful uh, story of the shadow is all is is kind of it contains the gifts. You know, it contains all the gifts. It contains all the wisdom of all the ages of and, and it's and it's meant to be. It's almost pre-recorded. You know, it's given to you. And it's up to us to unlock it. Sometimes we can have someone that helps us, you know, interpret it. That's, that's, a, that's a gift. Yeah. I think this is the great challenge of our time. It's the great challenge of, of modern times because we, we wish, you know, we want to spiritually bypass. You know, many of us want to go straight to the higher states. And, you know, there's no shortcuts. There just aren't shortcuts. You, you have to go through the discomfort and and you go through it in layers and then you you imbibe the teaching of that layer and it has to take place in your everyday life. You know, I mean, unless you're off in an ashram somewhere, in which case, you know, I can't comment on that because that's not a story that I've gone through in this life. But I do know everyday life and I am an ordinary person and I live in, a, you know, kind of relatively ordinary world 
um, with a family and uh, the trappings of, you know, the normal things. But it's in that life, in your everyday life, that, er that the spiritual teaching is tested. And it has to be tested. It has to be tested by your children, by your wife, by your boss, by the, you know, the thief that comes and robs you by the whatever it is that happens that you know the trickster that archetype that shows up and um swindles you you know everything is it, it tests our individual learning so it's in our everyday life that the spiritual teachings are integrated and i think this is like a real key like i really you know, we, many of our teachers have been like on pedestals or in ashrams or on mountaintops and they've left great teachings, but they're not applicable to everyday life. So we now have to find, we have to kind of mine this spiritual wisdom in our everyday lives. And I find it's just a very rich field. So that's how I, that's where I suggest that you, you look in your everyday life right in front of you. You don't need to go and do a, you know, year-long retreat in some monastery. I mean, you might, that might be useful, um, but actually it's here right in front of you right now. And that's the test. That's, that's where we have to integrate. If we're not growing, if we're not integrating, then, you know, you know if, we, if, we're, if we're making a mess of our life in terms of one relationship to another, to another, and we're just causing devastation and, you know, we have we've got to come to peace in our everyday lives that's 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 if we we can find peace in our everyday life then you must be integrating the spiritual teaching otherwise you're just running from it you know you're trying to go out go away up there and find it up in the sky and um you're not doing the work down here so yes it's a real real key yeah i think um many people do have religious trauma um, I think what's interesting, though, about this time is the possibility of us seeing that all the big religions and the religious paths, you know, they've all got these different routes towards the one. But actually, when you look at them all together, you, you have a really good view of like, wow, of, of, a, of a holistic possibility of understanding the divine or something transcendent but if you get stuck in one or you get caught in one and you get very attached to its ways of seeing without understanding and empathizing with the others you know which are completely seem contradictory often then you kind of you get that's where the trauma comes in because you get locked into one way of thinking, one way of seeing, and then you get locked into defending that way, whether consciously or unconsciously. And you feel threatened by the other paths. But actually, if you're able to listen, you know, I, when I was in my, in, 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 I think it was in 1990, I went and did an interreligious kind of conference in Poland. And we were, you know, there was about 300 of us, all different religions, all different creeds, um, some believers, some non-believers. I mean, everyone, all under the age of 30. And for, th for two or three months, we did work together. You know, we worked in the fields and we worked. But in the evenings, we came together and listened and learned about each other's religious pathways, beliefs and stuff. It was the one of the fundamental times of my life where I, I learned 
I, I learned more in those three months than I could have learned from like 10 years learning religion from books. You know, because I heard it from people's mouths. I saw them dance the dance of their religion or I, or I, I saw it, I saw them enacting their religious beliefs. And I got this notion of the holistic view of all the religions together. Right? So, re there's a, so even though there's trauma in individual religions, if we, if, if we can open up and understand other views, you know, so competing views even, then we get to see that they don't necessarily have to be contradictory. They're just, you know, there are places where they meet. And I think that's a really powerful thing. I think it can be very healing for someone who's been traumatized by one religion to begin to understand other religions and other views and other cultures. Because then you get to see, oh, I was just in that myopic view and I understand better. And you can see that there are people in other religions, you know, in some of those other who, who, who've incurred trauma in other religious, you know, institutions or cultures. Um, yeah, it's a great question. But I think there's a, I think there's a lot to be known from the, com not the combining, because you can't necessarily put them together and you shouldn't necessarily try and make them all fit. But they're all spokes in a, of a wheel, you know, that head to the same hub. And each spoke has its integrity in a way. Um, and so understanding as many as you can is, 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 a, is a real privilege of our, of our age. You know, there's a difference between success and fulfillment you know and we really need to kind of understand that modern humans um because we're a bit enraptured by the cult of success you know a successful life and all the trappings of a successful life we know what that is um and you could put a lot of energy into getting all that getting it all together so that it all looks really neat and feels you know you have all your comforts and all the boxes are ticked and and then you get there and it's just not, it's not the same as fulfillment. And there's someone else down there and they haven't got any of that stuff and they seem much less fortunate for, than you and yet they seem fulfilled. How is that possible? What is it that they have? So I think, you, again, a, a path of self-inquiry is really important, you know, for us to look, to begin to look within and, and ask the question like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing all this? Every single person needs, in our modern world, it's a really good question. Why am I doing all this? Why, am I ha why have I got this job and I'm heading towards that goal? Is it the right goal? You know, because many of us actually, we have a dream and it's the wrong dream, <laughs> but we don't know that. So you have to really just pause for a bit and come back into your center. And this is why the art of contemplation is really important because contemplation creates lucidity over a period of time. It creates real inner clarity, not external clarity. I mean, it does create, but it's, it's, it's not like out there. It starts from the inside. Like lucidity starts from the inside and then it starts to be able to, you can begin to look around you and go, well, this doesn't match the light that's inside me. So what am I going to do about that? And you don't have to do anything immediately, and I, I recommend that you don't. But I recommend that you, you know, you you fan the flame of this inner. You know, you, you start this inner journey, and it's very rich the inner journey. And it's about love. It's about heart. The heart. You know, we have to kind of bring our heart back to life, 
And if you if you can't, if you haven't brought your heart back to life, it doesn't matter what you have around you. It doesn't make any difference. You won't feel fulfilled. So it is all back down to love. And how do we find that self-love? That's a big question. That's a, that's the, that is the question. Like that's the journey, the inner journey um, of healing. And so it means we have to look at the trauma that's in the way. And so, you know, back to that question of, okay, let's embrace the trauma. Let's really get to know what's in the way of love. And uh, it's a courageous journey. It's a warrior's journey to go into that. You probably need help. You probably need a wise person or, or someone very empathic that can help you get started on that journey. So my advice to someone who looks around their life and feels deeply unfulfilled is it's because of the trauma that's inside you. Find someone who you empathize with and begin to talk to them about it. You know, someone who empathizes with you and just start to share and let them reflect back to you, you know, what they feel in response to your honesty. Really powerful way to begin. And then slowly doors will begin to open and a way ahead will be shown to you. Yeah, well, society, society will work fine. Just a different version of society when, you know, because if everyone is, this is, this is the, the, in a way, the dilemma is that we've created a certain world that requires us to behave in certain ways to maintain it. And the more people begin to follow their inner path, the more that, we won't be able to fuel that old system, that old paradigm, you know, so things will start to decay naturally. I think that may already be happening um, because the human spirit is creative and we're designed to do things creatively. We have creative genius, each one of us. We're not meant to just like bang away at something day after day, the same thing, the same boring thing. You might have to do that a bit when you're young, just to kind of make ends meet. But pretty soon you're going to have to find a creative entrepreneurial spark inside you and follow that. And it's going to show you, you know, it's, it comes back to this question of how can I be of the greatest service to the whole? When we ask that question, how can I be of the greatest service to the whole? Then our creativity will begin to emerge from that um, and it will begin to come out into the world and it will find the pathway for us. And um, we don't know ahead necessarily what that pathway is going to look like. So the idea that we have in our mind often is not the same thing. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's important not to be caught by an idea in the mind, like I want this, you know, yeah. Um, soul and spirit. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I guess, you know, one way you might look at it is Soul, I see as, I guess like, well, let's start with spirit. I see spirit as the ocean and soul as the drop. You know, so the ocean is infinite. You know, the ocean is everywhere. Spirit is everything. It connects all things. It's not, it's undivided. Soul is an aspect, not a fragment, but an aspect within that ocean that swims through that ocean, but is open on all sides. This is a paradox in a way. How can something be separate and yet open on all sides, transparent? So the soul 
kind of swims through the timeless domain, the boundless domain of the spirit, but it also dives into the adventure of the epochs, you know, of incarnation, of life and death and rebirth. And again, you know, so the soul is something that is eternal and is a part of the spirit, but it, it, it's, it's in the process of rediscovering itself as spirit in broader and broader and broader ways, you know, throughout its evolution, let's say. So to spirit, there's no evolution, but to the soul, there's evolution and involution. You know, involution is, is, the, is the future coming to the past and evolution is the past coming towards the future, if that makes sense. It doesn't really, but not to the logical mind, but it kind of does. So I don't know if that makes sense. There's, you know, there's different types of trauma. There's the trauma that kind of hits us, you know, that impacts us from something that happens. And then there's the trauma that we already came with. It's just, we, we brought it with us, you know, and um, both of those kind of, in some way, cause us to lose touch with our essence, lose touch with the, with the eternal part of our nature. And so we have to go and reclaim that. You know, that's that's the journey of the so that's the journey of life. That's the that's what the trauma's for. Without the trauma, there wouldn't in a way be a journey. You know, there'd be what there would be no story. So you have to have the trauma to have the story. It's the same with every great fairy tale or myth. There's always gotta be a fall in some way, so that there can be a reclamation and a story of, you know, redemption and atonement. So it's the same with us. You know, we've, we've, we have to set up, set, you know, pack our bags and set out on that journey into the wasteland to find the missing remnants of our soul. And um, that's the purpose of trauma, to reconnect us ultimately with that eternal part of our nature. You know, and, 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 it, and it's, it's the most amazing, magnificent journey there is. I mean, it's miserable at times, for sure. You know, because we're trudging through the wasteland often. But then there are flashes of illumination when angels alight before us and give us, you know, guidance and wonderful synchronicities and, you know, people that cross our path that help us. And, you know, our path is, is orchestrated. We All we have to do is set out on it. Yeah. Yeah, in the case of loneliness, um, you know, you have to look at the trauma, the nature of the trauma, and then respond to it. Again, if you can be a little creative, it gives you a little bit of fire to start, rather than just, you know, because you, you can come up, people can come up with their own ways. So I'm always encouraging, like, loneliness is, is about being disconnected from everything, dislocated you know, lost, you know. So send out some strings, send out some connections. You know, I, I would say, like, if you, if you feel lonely, buy a plant. <laughs> it's one of the first things I do. Have something alive in your aura, in your space that you have to care for. 
that you're responsible for, right? That's alive and keep it alive. Keep that plant and then get another plant, maybe get 10 plants, you know, and maybe a pet, you know, or that's a, that's a symbol in a way of like you've done something to reach out to life and you have to keep making those threads. So, you know, I know it's hard, but you have to do like make small, small steps like that. That's a small step. You buy a plant, right? You talk to the plant. It listens to you. It responds in some subtle way. Maybe you reach out to a group or to a person. Um, maybe you get rejected. Maybe you maybe you go, okay, that hurt. I'm gonna, you know, but that doesn't stop you from doing it again, you know, in some other way. You you have to kind of make you have to take the initiative in some way. If you're just sitting there and you don't take some initiative then you'll stay in that state of consciousness. You'll stay a lone, lonely person. Whereas if you can just make a small step, just small things, use your imagination um, to connect, connect with nature. That's one of the easiest ways of just making a connection. And then as you forge those little connections, and it might be that you attend the sunrise or you watch the sun go down or you watch the rain on a lake or something. and and it may bring up your sadness, but you're out there connecting with nature, with life. And that begins to thread you back into the whole. So I think one thread at a time, you know, you just take your needle and the thread and you start to thread yourself back into the life in lots of different creative ways. You know, perhaps you invite someone round and you cook them a meal, or if you can't do that, you just reach out in some way to something that's alive. And the more you do that, the more you'll start to kind of rethread this web. And then you realize that it was actually a complete illusion. One day you realize it was a complete and utter illusion. You could never be lonely again. You know, so um, it's, a, it's just a state of forgetting. You know, and there are other things as well. You know, you you can um, you can you can change loneliness through breathing. You know, through deep mindful breathing. You know, it, over a period of time, because you open up the airwaves of your heart and you begin to feel. You know, you begin to transform the sort of the lower frequencies in you, and you begin to open up higher frequencies. You begin to feel warm again in your body, you begin to, you're gentle with yourself, really. I mean, the first thing if you're lonely is to look after yourself, you know, it's like you actually have a friend, you know, it's you, you actually can take care of yourself, you can actually communicate with yourself, you can touch yourself, you know, you're your first friend, like, and I begin there, you are your first friend, you know, and if you can make friends with that friend, then you'll open the door to other friends, you know, you'll find ways. So I don't know if that's helpful to people. Seems rather obvious, but perhaps it's obvious things we forget. I think one of the things that helps us with guilt is opening our mind. You know, like some of the great spiritual traditions or great spiritual thinkers, you know, if you read some of their thoughts and their ideas, you realize that in the world, is present, you know, mystery upon mystery that connects us 
you know these calm the, the the notion of karma you know from the from the vedic teachings is an extraordinary you know set of principles and and so it's about coming into a wider frame so that you you begin to see you know you can begin to see things differently in a different light you realize that there are reasons for everything there are timings there are perfect timings woven into the tapestry of our the choreography of all life there's a perfection and even though you know whatever caused the guilt you know it was in the past and we can't change it you might come to realize that there's a wider field of play than you ever conceived and so i would say open up and just explore some of these deeper spiritual teachings out there because um, it really helps you to sort of realize oh it wasn't my fault it was meant to happen that way for lots of reasons you know and, and you realize that actually one of the reasons is for you to learn to overcome and transform your guilt in order that you could then perhaps even help other people who are also feeling guilt you know so you then become you know the shadow becomes a gift in some way because you learn to let go and you learn to detach and it doesn't mean you love any less in fact you love more because you're able to you're able to feel joy again but yeah i understand guilt um is a journey it's a real journey and obviously forgiveness is an incredibly important part of that journey self-forgiveness is is you know is a is a really powerful journey it takes time always has to take time but it starts with you just doing this you know, just looking after yourself, just going, wow, that's tough. You know, it was a tough experience for me, for them, for whoever's involved. How am I gonna, how am I gonna melt my own heart? You know, because no one else is gonna do it. <laughs> so you have to do it yourself. But others have done it, you know. Read the great stories of forgiveness. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff out there today. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I've noticed because I've been a, a spiritual teacher for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And, and when one, you know, I've been learning initially, learning to be a spiritual teacher. And, and now I'm more in the, in the grain of it. And in that time, I've noticed people listening to what I say are really changing. You know, it used to be... Um, mostly women in their 40s, 50s, and 60s that would listen and were interested. Now it's like everyone, but particularly younger generations, you know, people in their 20s and 30s, around 30 especially. And that's because that time of life is a, is a really time of awakening, you know, but, but also younger generations are, are more switched on than, you know, they're, they're, because of the crisis that's looming over the planet um people are you know are waking yes people are waking up quicker you know and and earlier um and that doesn't mean they're any wiser <laughs> you know it's easy to look at the younger generations and go oh they're so wise you know they're not they're young <laughs> but they they may awaken quicker for sure but they're still going to be young and, you know, there's no substitute for experience in, in life, just ex raw experience. And 
yes but it's an incredible time you know because um there there is an intensity as you say there's an intensity of suffering that's kind of building there's there's more issues that we can see there's more you know breakdown and decline of you know old ways and paradigms of doing things of business and you know politics and we we you know we're we're really deeply disillusioned with everything and and we don't know how to get out of the fix so yeah of course that's a time that's a prime time for individuals to awaken inwardly and and by awakening my favorite definition of awakening is it's a series of softenings you know it's a series of softenings we have to soften into the nature of our heart of our love and the heart opens in layers you know the mind can open instantly you know if someone shows you something you've never seen before or proves you something that you've never understood before your mind can open instantly the heart it kind of wants to open gently tenderly gingerly it you know it opens a little bit and then it's like oh is that safe and then it kind of goes it gets used to that level and then it goes yeah i think it might be safe and then it kind of opens a bit more and it contractions you know and i think that that for me that parallels the process of awakening it's not how many people understand awakening it's how i understand it um that the heart awakens essentially we're awakening to deeper and deeper vistas of love of self-love and eventually we well we open up into you know the beloved you know we're like we are love itself um and that's the you know but layer upon layer of it so i think you know that's the program that we're in now and yeah intensity of experience um helps pop people more into what's what's essential you know because awakening is essential you know if you it's the most essential thing there is there isn't anything more essential you know nothing is more essential than love so um yeah that's 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 what's that's what's occurring it's what i see occurring on the planet more and more people realizing that not not yet sure how to get there but asking the question i'm remembering a a kind of very bold statement by a, an indian saint shri anandamaya woman female saint where someone asked her you know is the world ever going to be you know whole are we ever going to be rid of evil and uh, her reply was not at all how even i would have expected she said don't ever pray for that um because you know that is what allows us to awaken it was such a bold statement um and i don't know if i fully agree or i i can wrap my heart and head fully around that it's such a profound thing um but what i have learned is that there is grace in suffering and suffering is often brought about because of evil and so it may be that we're currently in a phase of our evolution where we need it to awaken to the next level and i don't think it's always has to be there personally you know i think that there will come a time in which you know and i've said this before that i feel like we're learning we're in the phase where we're still learning from suffering and we haven't fully learned enough yet you know 
We haven't plumbed it right to the bottom of the barrel. We have to do that. We have to get out every tiny little glint of light that's contained in it. And then we shift. And then we start learning from something else. We start learning from bliss, actually, which is as vast as suffering, if not more so. And it has as many folds and adventures. Sounds more fun, obviously. But we have to, you know, I think evil is a part of the nature of suffering. And, and you know, it's necessary in that sense to help us awaken. You know, otherwise, it, it's part of the story. It's part of our current story and our current paradigm. That doesn't mean we shouldn't resist it, fight it, you know, you know, fight injustice wherever we see it. Of course, that's a part of the journey of awakening. And, and we each have different journeys. You know, some of us, uh, our journey of awakening is actually to take on evil, to be the warrior. Others, it's to be the, you know, the healer. You know, others, it's to be the seer. You know, it, 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 there are different archetypes of awakening. And... It, that reveals itself over time for each, to each one of us, what our archetype is. But yeah, I think evil is a, it's a part of the world, this world currently. I really like something that um, the physicist um, Nassim Haramein discovered um, and proposed, which is when he looked at all the different scales of life from the kind of <clears throat> the tiniest the kind of Planck scale at the bottom up to the great galaxies and nebulae and the universes themselves and then all the different scales in between in the middle of that scale exactly is humanity you know and he what he what he termed it is like humanity is the event horizon of the cosmos and I just thought that was like one of the deepest things I'd ever heard anyone say and I've thought about it often thinks I thought what is an event horizon it's like you know it's this place where the present moment just wells up and you know all the all the mysteries are present in that place it's where life sees itself so I think hum humanity, I, I, I feel a resonance with that. I feel like humanity is a species where everything is possible and everything is welling up. The good, the evil, the, you know, all the different potentials of, of the cosmos are kind of present in us. You know, as above, so below. You know, the human is, the, is a map of the universe. Um, and we're a part of the universe exploring and able to see itself. And... And one day able to understand and know ourselves as the universe. That's the that's the promise. So I think that not that we're the center of the universe, but we're in the middle of the scale, you know, which is an incredibly privileged place to be. You know, we're nature's eyes. We're her, her part of her brain, you know, and, and, and part of her neurology. And then all the humans together, we're like uh, neurons firing at each other, you know, hopefully not literally, but we're firing creative ideas around. And eventually, perhaps we'll come to that collective intelligence where we realize we are a brain. We are a heart brain, you know, um, and, collect, and, and as we come into coherence, 
that's when we really see what humanity really is. You know, we are this incredible collective heart brain of, of the cosmos. You know, that, that's an extraordinary idea. I think, you know, my, the secret that I have found <laughs> that I share with everyone I can is gentleness. It's like a such a simple, innocent little secret <laughs> that, you know, when trauma descends, when pain comes, instead of tightening, we soften. You know, we soften. We, 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 we kind of gentle ourselves. You know, it's gentleness towards oneself. And it doesn't mean weakness. You know, gentleness towards oneself can actually manifest as ferocity towards another. You know, because if you're really gentle towards yourself, you might go, no, that is not okay. Because you've got this, you've built up this deep self-love, this deep self-care. And so, you know, dealing with, dealing with our own trauma is often it requires boundaries, it requires that we learn those boundaries, so that we stop a pattern that's, you know, that we are keeping, you know, we're allowing it to keep invading our space, you know. So that gentleness is not, I wouldn't make that clear, it's like, it's not always towards everyone else. I mean, it often is, you know, because when you deal with the trauma of another, the best way you can approach them is with gentleness, incredible gentleness and patience. Patience is another aspect of gentleness. So you, you, you've got to be, you've got to have an, an inc almost like you have the whole of time before you and you don't put any demands on when this wound will be healed. You know, but you know that in time, if you continuously are gentle with yourself, if you, if you, if you can kind of break those patterns of being hard on yourself, and like, I wish I could, you know, I could do better and I need to, you know, how am I going to get out of this? And you, you stop all that process and you just go, I have all the time in the world. I have all the time in the world. And if your body feels that and if your being feels that from you, <laughs> then it will yield. It will slowly begin to yield and breathe. It's like a, you know, a really great horse whisperer of someone you know, who's really good with animals that are traumatized. The way you approach them is you don't approach them. <laughs> you know, you just wait in their aura, you know, and you look at them and you stay there and you listen and your whole body becomes a listening, accepting presence. And then that creature will start to come towards you in time when it's ready. It's the same with the human heart. You know, I've seen a friend who does that with wild birds. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> it's just part of his gift that he can just do that with wild birds and they come and land on him and it's the ability to listen to oneself to one's own heart and to be gentle um i can't remember where i, I digressed but uh ended up in a nice place <laughs> if you are able to kind of expand your mindset to include the concept that you're an eternal soul and that eternal soul has been diving in and out of these forms for millennia in a pattern on a fractal journey through time and space and you landed in this one now but actually the future also is also you know it, it, it also may not be you know 
like you might even have landed in a future one, which means that the future ones already happened in some way. There's a great paradox, right? But you're in this one and the journey's going to continue after this one. You know, so you're I'm talking about reincarnation, you know, um, or rebirth. And there's a continuity, there's a soul continuity. Then landing in this one and then discovering a package of trauma. Uh, you might go, wow, this is this is interesting because I have the I have one ahead of me and I have one behind me. That means I have all the time in the world, for one thing. It means I, you know, it's like, but my job in this one is to really understand this package. And it might well be related to the one that came before, the life I had before. You know, it might be a memory that's lingering, that's still stuck in me, and something I took with me or something I did. And it's just, I've never been able to understand it, where it comes from, or kind of how it got here. Or why I have it, and it, and so there's a whole um, you know past life regression therapy that's evolved and is really interesting. And if you feel called, you could go and look down that path, and you might find some interesting things out. I'm not saying you have to understand it, you know. Actually, you don't have to do that. But if you have if you have the vista, it gives you a sense of spaciousness around this trauma because it may not only belong to you in a way it may be something you carried from another existence and that slate's been kind of semi-wiped clean but understanding it in that way can sometimes liberate us you know because we realize it wasn't anything we did in this life you know it wasn't anything that happened to us in this life it's something that from another existence and it's not that you have to remember that you know it might be helpful, it might not be helpful. It might be distracting, actually. But it just gives you that perspective that, okay, I have a curriculum, you know, because if I want to get to that one <laughs> clear, I've got to deal with this, and I do. And in fact, it would be quite nice if I cleared it in this one. <laughs> um, but it gives us that sense of, okay, I, this is like a school. You know, this is like, a, this is a school I'm in. You know, and uh, there's other classes. There's classes that I've learned from and I'm still learning from, but there's going to be future classes I'm going to learn from. And it gives you that sense of like, okay, I might even begin to look at this more as an adventure. You know, like a daring adventure that I've taken on. And I can be the warrior and I can go, or I can be the healer or both the healer and the warrior. And I'm going to get something amazing out of this. So I think for me, Having that perspective opens up this sense of, wow, almost adventure and excitement. Like, wow, suddenly it's a bit more of a thrill. It's not just all this pressure on this one thing. I've got to get it right this time. And, you know, it's all this compressed pressure in this time. It's Instead, there's a great spaciousness. And so my feeling, you know, my personal feeling around that is that uh, if there is a creator, um, if you want to look at it like that, then um, I would say that, that creator is infinitely generous and giving us only one life would be like incredibly stingy. <laughs> so to me, it seems like that's what that's part of our playground. Yeah. How does that happen? I think when you 
break your addiction to become to being a victim you know and it's often an unconscious addiction that's when you snap out into a, a wider vista you know where where suddenly you're the you're the creator you know you're the creator of this reality right and you come in and you already agreed that you're going to confront these demons and you're the you know you're the warrior the rainbow warrior of light and have some backbone you know the warrior is, is doesn't just give in and cave in like that warrior has their moments of course the warrior has their moments where they need to take care of themselves and heal themselves if they've been wounded but also the warrior needs to kind of you know meet the fates and and battle you know be here so it's a it's an attitude shift um where you become the daring one the devil the daredevil the you know, you're no longer afraid of dark forces or look, there's something out there coming to get me or, you know, you're no longer the victim. You let go of that unconscious belief structure and you then feel empowered. You can, I can do something about this. You know, I can change. I can change my life. You know, I, I can find help. I can, you know, there are lots of ways. There's, as soon as you have that opening, anything's possible. So it's a simple thing. It's just, just an attitude shift. How does it happen? It's a mystery. You've got to be ready. You've got to be open to it. And then it just happens one day. You just go, I've had enough. Often when you've sunk to the bottom, you just go, okay, only I can change this. It's time. Today's my day. <laughs> and off you go. You know, in my, in my, in my work, um, in my role in the world, my greatest comfort comes from being ordinary, from feeling ordinary. And just this, just humanity, just being a human, it's a beautiful thing to be a human, actually. It's an incredible privilege. You know, so if we can remember that, if we can remember to be grateful just each day that we're here, you know, I have this saying, Spiro Ergo Prospero. I breathe, therefore I am prospering. Therefore I prosper. Just for breathing is like, what a privilege that I'm here alive in this thing. And so that is the fuel that begins to open you up so that people see you again. You know, because you need to ignite that soul quality, that gratitude um regard you know you need in some way like one has to let go of needing to be seen in a certain way and just embrace the deliciousness of being human and ironically when you let go of needing to be seen in a certain way that's when you become authentic that's when you just are you know, and I, 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 some of the most beautiful people I know are just the simplest people I know. They're just the most human. Just, they don't have any spiritual kind of fluffy understanding like I do. <laughs> they just, they're just this, you know, they're just like nature, part of nature. You know, f farmers and people that work outside, people that work in, you know, close to, close to the natural world those are some of the most earthy gritty lovely wonderful kind of cr 
people there are. So I would say, you know, get close to nature, get feel yourself as part of nature. And then, you know, then you become more and more who you are, you know, and, and then you don't need to worry about how others see you. It's just not a concern. You just like, it's not a worry you have. <laughs> Any spiritual system can be easily weaponized, you know. Um, I am at pains, don't really like that expression, but I, it is sometimes painful. I'm at pains to constantly point out to people that this isn't really a spiritual system, actually. It's about unlocking one's own wisdom. And it's just loads of tools and ideas and inspiring things um, to help one unlock their own wisdom. So it doesn't, to me, really matter so much which tool you use. You can use it and then discard it. And that's how it should be. You know, you use it and then you discard it. You no longer need it. It doesn't mean you kind of diss it. You just go, well, that was useful. And it got me here. And now I don't need it anymore. And so I'm delighted if that is something. If I can be made obsolete, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted. That's my highest wish and prayer, like for, for me to no longer be needed. Um, and then people to, to create their own spiritual path and, you know, out of their own wisdom and their own love. Um, yeah, I don't want to be doing this forever. I, you know, it's like, who, it's very joyful. I get to meet all kinds of amazing people. But um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great question. And all I can do is, is to the best of my ability, ensure that nothing becomes a dogma. <laughs> And so to not be a dogmatist, one has to be a, a true heretic, you know, a heretic where you even even your own teaching is a heresy, you know, and in fact, any teaching is a heresy and that you, no one should believe this. You know, one of my great um, another person that I deeply respect, although he's a complete madman, was a complete madman, U.G. Krishnamurti, not a teacher, spiritual teacher, not many people know, because he shares his name with another, well, better known spiritual teacher. <laughs> this is U.G. Krishnamurti. And he was a kind of crazy guy. And um, he just said, you know, over and over again, that nothing he said was of any worth to anyone at all. But he had had this experience, and so he was out there talking. But over and over again, he said that, you know, and then even in his books, and this is the wonderful beginnings to his books where he, he does the, you know, he says, look, anyone is, anyone is, is welcome to take my books to claim ownership or authorship of them. And it's like, there is no value in here for me. It's yours, you know, it's like he just gave it all away. Um, so if you want, you can take one of his books and actually um, claim that you wrote it legally. And there you are. <laughs> he didn't want it. He didn't want anything remaining. And I love that. I mean, it's an extreme view, but I love that kind of attitude. Like, don't look at me, you know, just take what you need and then make it your own. And and so I, that's what my wish is for the Gene Keys is that it it, it generates a creative, co-creative community and that everyone creates their own teaching if they need a teaching or they create their own artwork or they create their own life and journey. 
um, and that this will be just forgotten one day. That would be great. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. Thanks. Brilliant.